Please be seated. We've prayed that we will know true religion and that it will grow in us. And this true religion business is tricky, tricky stuff. A recent uh, novel that some of you may have seen by the incomparable Ian McEwan is called The Children Act. And the title refers to various acts of parliament which attempt to define and protect minors in the English legal system or otherwise in the care of local authorities. And in this novel, the main character is a judge called Fiona May. And at one point, she's asked to rule on whether or not a hospital can override the wishes of a 17-year-old and his family who are Jehovah's Witnesses and give him a blood transfusion against his will and against his choice. And she goes to meet the child and is concerned as to how to balance the various matters in law. And as part of her judgment, she writes, this court takes no view of the, on the afterlife, which in any event, A, his name was Adam, will discover or fail to discover for himself one day. Meanwhile, assuming a good recovery, his welfare is better served by his love of poetry, by his newly found passion for the violin, by the exercise of his lively intelligence and the expressions of a playful, affectionate nature, and by all of life and love that lie ahead of him. In short, I find that A, his parents and the elders of the church have made a decision which is hostile to A's welfare, which is this court's paramount consideration. He must be protected from such a decision. He must be protected from his religion and from himself. Well, Adam, turns out, was very grateful to this judge, and his parents were too, because they got to keep their son, and it was the big bad judge in the system that stopped them being faithful and following the precepts of God as they understood it. And Adam started to seek her out, almost stalking her. At one point, he asked if he could come and live with her. But she kept her professional distance, Judge May, even as he sent her poems, increasingly dire poems. And at the close of the novel, she learns that Adam's leukemia has returned. Now 18, he refused treatment, and he has died. And as she, Fiona tries to sort out her feelings, as one part of her reflection, she says, Adam came looking for her, and she offered nothing in religion's place. No protection, even though the act was clear. Her paramount consideration was his welfare. How many pages and how many judgments had she devoted to the term? Welfare, well-being, was social. No child is an island. In effect, she'd given him permission to abandon his religion and so become an outsider in the only world he'd ever known, but she declined to re respond to his request for conversation, connection, even a kind of parenting. There's much more to this short, wonderful novel, but this religion business is really complicated. And it's a lot of what both Jesus and the author of James are trying to sort out. Trying to sort out what is true religion? When is being faithful just getting it wrong, missing the boat? And when is it getting it right? And they're trying to sort things out. Things like food laws that make sense for one community in one time and place can become a tradition that on one hand gives shape and structure to a community, to spiritual practice, to religion itself. 
but on the other hand, at the same time, can become a means of control of one over another and serve to quench the spirit. We all know how this works. Both Jesus and James are wrestling with the balance between the inner life of thoughts and feelings and the outer life of word and deed. James wants us first to recognize that all good things, including our best intentions, are themselves gifts of grace, but that we have a role to play in the development of character. Rid yourselves of all sordidness. Jesus, too, wants some congruity between outward actions, especially with regard to rituals and the inner life. Over the years, I've had a number of conversations which people tell me they won't go to church, they're like all the hypocrites there. And I always say, well, I really prefer the hypocrites who are in church dealing with it rather than the ones outside who think they can judge the others. I prefer these hypocrites because the old adage holds true here. We judge ourselves by our intentions usually, and we judge others by their actions. Both James and Jesus are calling us to strive for integrity, for congruity, for an integrated life, recognizing that in a compromised world, even such integrity as we can achieve reveal a measure of God's abundant grace. So when I think about integrity... I think, believe I'm thinking about all those things in our tradition that call us to be better than we are, not obsessively or neurotically concerned with our own thoughts and behavior, but doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God all our days. When our tradition says Jesus was without sin, I hear a description of a man of absolute integrity. There is something about this kind of integrity that is not self-conscious. And I believe we live toward these ideal, this ideal by having moments and actions and practices of conscious choice and reflection. We call it spiritual practice, consciously chosen actions by and through which we are freed by grace to live freely and generously and hopefully and courageously and so on. By prayer and worship, we turn toward what matters so that we live toward what matters in the rest of our lives when we're not in prayer and worship. We have chosen times of service to others so that we develop the attitude of a servant and find in the rest of our lives that it is in fact true that we give ourselves away in love and become more fully who we are. And of course, we practice generosity in the same way, choosing sustained and sustaining giving of our money as an antidote to materialism and an antidote to the inevitable anxiety that accompanies that spiritual malady. So such spiritual practice, you'll recognize, pray, serve, give, it only ever becomes a problem when we allow the practice to become the point. Many of us have met people who enter 12-step groups in order to live free from whatever compulsive and destructive behavior they've identified as needing attention, only to start living for the 12-step group and for the program. It's almost about that takes over and becomes the point and purpose of life. Others have found psychotherapy to be the place where there is such meaning and and feeling and reality that you, you can't go without the therapist. Some of you might have seen a truly bizarre uh, movie. Don't rush out and rent it unless you're into really bizarre movies by Christian, Kristen Wiig called Welcome to Me, in which a woman with borderline personality disorder wins the lottery and creates her own talk show during which she creates a very destructive reality for everyone around her, absolutely damages everyone around her, she makes her diagnosis the point of her life. 
It's funny in parts, but a really strange and disturbing film. We see religion when good things become bad things. And we all know this, but we don't always know where to see it in ourselves, where to find the incongruities between what we believe about ourselves and what we actually do, and finding those, those gaps, in a sense, and renewing our own spiritual practice toward overcoming them or working through them is part of what we're about. And so as we see religious fundamentalism in uh, ISIS justifying rape, destroying antiquities all in the name of religious purity, all in the name of true religion, all in the name of being faithful to God as God has revealed it to these people, it's never more important than now that we take these scriptures to heart. So St. James urges us to keep the main thing the main thing. Persevere, not being hearers who forget, but doers who act. They will be blessed in their doing. Care for the orphans and widows in their distress. Keep oneself untainted by the craziness that allows faith to get muddled up with damage. And Jesus, likewise quoting the prophet, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In our customary silence, I invite you to consider where in your life there is a measure of incongruity and consider renewing your spiritual practice to address it in the days and weeks to come that you might walk with integrity the paths prepared for you to walk in. You see, at the end of the day, true religion often looks like no religion at all. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.